I can hear you fine. Okay, I can hear you. Okay, you can hear me. Okay, we're good, we're good then. So you can hear me, I can hear you perfect. <laughs> it, there's always this weird thing sometimes where with uh, Zoom, I feel like sometimes it's like, I don't know, the audio, it, it seems to be the, the problematic thing. For real. Yeah, I've had, it's weird, the last like three podcasts, I've had more problems than like 50. It's Strange. weird. Yeah. So how's everything going, man? Dude, it's good. Thanks so much for taking the time. Sorry about the miscommunication on uh, time zones. Oh, honestly, it worked out perfectly because I was like, man, like, I'm going to try to make it. If, if you had said it was going to be like, if it would have been like 7 o'clock your time, it wouldn't have worked. So, uh, or 7 o'clock my time, it wouldn't work. So it worked out perfectly. Yeah, it, dude, I was going through the same exact stuff um, with, uh, with the gym. Hold on, I'm going to swap something on my sound real quick. Yeah, dude, what you got to do, brother? <clears throat> Man, I just like too. I've got a podcast studio at my gym. I just moved into, and I've been dialing in all sorts of little um, strange little audio issues. My speakers are kind of popping. Is this your new little studio right here? It is. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's like a oh, fifteen by thirty foot room. Nice, very cool. Yeah. So, um, dude, it's like a dream come true. I've been like I teach college uh, also. And like, this has been something I've been working on getting set up for a long time. So uh, what do you teach? History. History. Ah, what, uh, what type of history do you teach? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a history geek. Uh, great. Um, so uh, Arkansas history, I teach our state history, um, okay. uh, but also uh, U.S. history one and two and mm. Western civil one and two. I teach at a community college. So I teach mostly cool. gen eds. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. That's fun. Yeah. The U.S. history I, I found fascinating because you know, the, uh, you get the happy history in high school and elementary school and stuff. And then when you get out, like, I, it doesn't make me dislike, like, the people in our country or anything anymore or anything like that or any less. It's just like, it's nice to have a three-dimensional view because you're like, ah, oh, they were human. Like, I'm human. They made mistakes. We make mistakes. And it was, it's a much more like, uh, it's, to me, it's much more useful and resourceful than like a mythical being <laughs> that like, you know, like just doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. You know, too, like, uh, it's kind of a sidebar. You ever listen to Jordan Peterson? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I, I like Jordan Peterson. I actually watched him. He came to Louisville, and I was, I was fortunate enough to see him when he came in. He was good. Yeah. Oh, jealous. Um, I'm kind of ripping off his um, self-authoring program for my classes. Have you, are you familiar with how he does that? Um, I'm not. I heard him talk about it, but I'm not all that familiar with it. It's it's super interesting. I know another professor that does something really similar, but it's basically like uh, it's sort of a history writing exercise. But like you you write an autobiography mm. for yourself, and oh, then yeah. you then you write like a, a future thinking assignment. Like okay, sure. if life could be any way in five yeah. years, but man, it's just some really cool get people in the mind of thinking about okay, like what's you know what am i doing like what what's what's my past been like and what's my yeah. future gonna be like which is like an ultimate lesson i like to try and think about in history all the time so oh dude it's super super important i know that like one of the biggest benefits from from me doing all the videos and like the youtube videos and all the blogs and emails that i post a lot of it comes from digging up stuff 
you know, like, cause I'm like, well, cause again, when someone sends a message, I'm like, well, how can I be helpful to this person? And I'm having to dig up this old stuff and it gives you, you have to, you have to look at it and really examine what you've been doing your whole life, you know, and you're like, whoa, you know, and then you think about this stuff and then, um, you know, it's really useful. It's incredibly useful. I think it's probably one of the biggest things. And then when you look at that and you examine where you've been, you then kind of have a better view of, okay, well, here's where I've been. Where would I like to go? Um, and I've always been a big fan of journaling uh, towards like the future and what you want to do. Um, I still have some old journals sitting around the house where I would literally daydream about what I wanted to happen and like what the perfect day would look like. And what's, what's, what's kind of creepy, Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said, uh, he said something to the effect, which has been said before, but basically he wrote it out. And I can't remember exactly what he said, but he should said, you should be very careful about what you like think about all the time and what you sort of like sort of think about because it's going to come to you. And so like, when I look at like these journal entries, I was like, man, like this stuff that I was writing about when I was 20, 25, so on, like it happened, you know? And I think that there's something really, really important to that journaling and getting that stuff down and really daydreaming about it and becoming kind of obsessed about those things. I, it's really, really important. So yeah, just, I, I didn't know about the self-authoring, but I've done different exercises similar to that. I think it's incredibly useful. Yeah, it's, man, it's something I just, one of those things I just got onto, just like what you're talking about. I've listened to Jordan Peterson's most recent book, but now I'm going through his lectures and his mm -hmm. Maps of Meaning book oh, yeah. together, like his Maps of Meaning lectures and the book. And, oh man, it's been super enjoyable. I would love to, to hear him give a, a talk or a debate or anything. Oh, yeah. Have you, have you uh, watched his lectures on um, the, like, he broke down these Disney movies and yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinocchio. Those are great. Yeah. yeah. I love those because I love seeing like, um, I'm a huge Joseph Campbell fan. Are you familiar with him? No. You should go check out Joseph Campbell too. He's very, fa he's a fascinating dude. Um, he basically, he was this guy who has a fascinating story, but he, um, he basically broke down religions and was like, showing that they had all the same symbolism and stories and sort of motifs being used across the board. You know, um, the, the, one of the most common is the death and rebirth. So Jesus rising from the grave, the Phoenix rising from the ashes. Like you see this death <clears throat> and rebirth myth used over and over again. And, um, you know, his idea, uh, Joseph Campbell's, was that the symbolism was being put into these stories to and help people because, like, each one of us throughout our lives is going to have to have a death of some sort. You know, we have an ego death. Who we think we are dies and we become someone new, you know. And so, um, you know, it, it's interesting. So there's uh, – Jordan Peterson talks about him a few times here and there, but uh, he's got some really interesting stuff. And you can find most of his – yeah, his most of his stuff you can find it online. Like you can find some of his talks and stuff and uh, interviews on uh, YouTube and everything else like that. Yeah, died the year I was born in '87 in Honolulu, Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he he was a fascinating dude. Like I I I read I've read several books on him. He's uh he like basically was essentially self taught. He just went up in the during the depression. He went up into Woodstock, New York, up in, in the mountains and was just like reading books. <laughs> and then he became a college teacher. Are you a pretty avid reader yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm a big reader. I I um definitely enjoy reading. Yeah, my uh the same. Uh, but I will say, like I uh, I've been really sharing this with everybody. I just got into listening to audiobooks this year, mm -hmm. and it just like put me in another universe. Like I'm an auditory learner. I was, mm -hmm. I, I've I've kind of always been aware that I was an auditory learner, but I just never like connected the dots and just started listening to audiobooks. I would 
always uh, love watching any sort of digital media, mm -hmm. like like your videos or or yeah. whatever, you know. But I was always an auditory learner, and then a visual like my visual learning. It's like most of the books here in my studio are like martial arts books, which I joke yeah, about. Yeah. They're people. They're like picture <laughs> books, man. So I like looking at pictures and listening to things. But um, I've been able to do sixty-eight audiobooks this year, and nice. it's been. Uh, a super enriching. It's something I'm trying to talk with all my guests about and ultimately get tons of good suggestions um, on authors and, and books. Like, what would you say one of your top books has been recently? Recently? Um, <clears throat> I just finished the uh, uh, Phil Jackson's uh, 11 Rings book. So I, I watched that Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I was like, that was super cool. And then this Phil Jackson guy, I was like, man, I got to read this guy because he seems interesting. And so I found this book, 11 Rings, which is sort of focused around basketball coaching. But honestly, there was like, I've, I've actually ended up because I was, I was impatient. I got it on uh, Kindle and, um, and I got it on my iPad. And so one of the things that I like to do with my iPad or whatever is when I, whenever I go through books, I don't just like read them. I like highlight stuff. I make notes in it. I write all through them because I want to try to remember it. And then I make uh, journals um, on a Google document. So this way I have all this information where I can look through it. So later on, if I want to reference what I was thinking about this or these ideas, I can reference them just by searching. And um, I, I went through that book and I was like, there's just so much stuff that I could use for coaching. You know, it was like it, for jujitsu, you know, it was fantastic. And one of the things that was interesting about the book is because I'm kind of um, like, obviously he was super into like Zen, um, like in meditation and all these different practices and uh, which I didn't know about. I don't, I'm not really a big basketball fan, but for me, like I'm very much into like different f meditations uh, practices and all these different ideas and, and just sort of thinking about things on a deeper level. And uh, in that book, he's like sort of laying some of these ideas down. And I was like, man, this is so useful because like he even has Joseph Campbell quotes in there and stuff. And I'm like, this is my guy. Like he's a coach who again is looking at his, um, his respective activity on a far deeper level than simply just the sport itself. And so I found that, you know, that book, again, you know, if you're a basketball fan, I'm sure you'll love it. But even if you're not, if you're a coach, I think it would be useful for any coach, but that's been one that I thought was really, uh, been really useful recently. And that's been something I've been more and more interested in is looking well, just looking at other coaches, I mean, mm -hmm. first of all, there's not, I did read a, a really good book recently called Mastery, and I forget the author, but. Robert Greene. Yes. It's yes. a good one. That's a good yeah. book. Yeah. <clears throat> Which ironically is by another martial artist, if it's, um, and I really enjoyed it. It was like a four hour listen, I, but man, him talking about the different kinds of learners, mm -hmm. like the dabbler, the obsessive personality, like I was like, oh, I've, I've seen all those people on my mats. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of something. Let me, let me hold see. Hold on. Let me, hold on. Let me double check. I've got to right double here, check because I want to make sure maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. George Leonard. Is George Leonard. Guy. Okay. Different book. Yeah. He is a martial artist. He's an Aikido guy, but he's mm. also, um, he's like successful in business, but he just happened to train Aikido sort of a deal. Mm -hmm. And he talks about like the parallels in martial arts and then um, sort of business and life and like learning anything. Like how, like if we're going to get involved in something, we start learning something. I did when I was looking for mastery, did see that green guy because he's the number one that comes up when you type in mastery. On yeah, yeah, because because that's the mastery that I, I looked at, you know, and you're right. Like, I mean, I think when, when you kind of get away from, like a lot of times people have this, um, I guess you'd say kind of what I would consider a, um, 
a sort of a faulty thinking that like my thing is different, right? Like, so for instance, like business practices for the most part are business practices. There's different ways that you exercise them and, you know, see them, but business is a business, right? They operate very similarly and you can see businesses from our type of business to other types of businesses. Um, but a lot of times you, you see different people like, oh, well, my business is different. Well, kind of, it's different with the way that you're doing things, but in the, the actual business operation, it's, it's, it's a business. Um, and then a lot of times people think, well, jujitsu, like, well, I'm coaching jujitsu and this is different than other things. It's like, but when you look at other coaches and other sports and other activities, it's very similar. Like you're dealing with like these different personalities and you're dealing with these different types of people doing these different types of things. And so like one of the things that I find really useful is going into um, other, basically other areas, other fields, and then just like listening to how these people do it. Like I'm reading this, um, another book now on my Kindle. Let me look it up real quick. Um, it was recommended to me by a friend. It's called The Creative Habit, Learn It and Use It. Um, what is it? Learn It and Use It. Learn It and Use It for Life by uh, Twyla Tharp. She was like a dancer and choreographer and stuff like that, which obviously has nothing to do with about jiu-jitsu. But if you read through it, it's all about creativity and how to access that. And again, that's, that's 100% useful for jiu-jitsu. The, the for Creative anything. Habit is what that one's called? It was called... Um, yeah, it's called The Creative Habit. Okay. Learn it and use it for life. It's by uh, Twyla, uh, T-W-Y-L-A, Tharp. And, Interesting um, name. Yeah, and so basically it's, it's, a, it's a book, and, I've, and I'm almost through with it, but it's a great book. It's, and it's basically just talking about how to access creativity and uh, you know, giving her tips on how to do that and everything else. And I find it, I, you know, again, I found it really useful, marked it up and, and made all kinds of notes from it. And again, she's a dancer, but the same ideas of accessing creativity, that's just a human experience, right? Whether you're doing a martial art or you're doing you know, painting or anything else. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. That's, and it, you know, what's weird is it took me a long time to start looking outside of I guess our own industry mm -hmm. for inspiration like that. I was like, I was just kind of all chaotic, like, Oh, I'll look at history stuff over here and then I'll yeah. go over here and I'll be a martial <clears throat> artist. And over here I'm doing this interest or whatever, but that's been something just in the last couple of years, I've really benefited from taking a look at other coaches, other like leadership uh, people who write about leadership. I'll tell you the the Jocko book and uh, mm -hmm. the David Goggins book or two mm -hmm. books I read this year that were fantastic. So, but um, man, I've been really enjoying like reading SF guys, Navy SEALs had mm -hmm. Alan Shabaro on the podcast. Nice. Which I mean, he's jujitsu. I think the first jujitsu bite belt in the special forces, <laughs> but um, it's just so interesting. It's, it's kind of chaotic to, to try and assimilate it all together, but it's, I don't know. It's easier than it used to be is the point I'm making, I guess. Yeah. We, we've got all that information out and that's, that's one of the reasons why, like, as I, one of my, like, I feel like one of my jobs is for my own self is that as I'm reading and taking this information and I journal it and basically write down what it means to me and how I am interpreting it. So if I find a good idea, I'll like write it in my journal. And then again, like, what does that mean to me? How does that affect me? Why is that? Why do those words stand out uh, to me and keep note of them? And this is why I, I have those so that this way I can reference them later on. So, um, you know, cause a lot of times it's like, this, you'll have this really good idea and I want to come back to it. Um, and again, going back to it, that's been one of the really beneficial things about doing the things that I do for a living is that I get to like find these really cool ideas and either implement them and try them 
Um, like I've tried several of the ideas that I, I sort of took away from the Phil Jackson book and like put them into practice. But then even just, um, you know, if you, if for me, if I have something that I find really useful that I would like to share, a lot of times I can find a question from one of the viewers and I can be like, Hey, like, this is a really useful idea that I found here. It might work for you too. And here's how it applied to me. And here's how it could maybe apply to you. And hopefully this is useful to you. So. Man, that's a lot of the blogs I've seen you do, which you give, you give really good talks. And I'm, sure. I like hearing some insight on where you get kind of some motivation, but I mean, it's just like, I've, some of my blogs, I'll just be honest, like seeing you vlog inspired me to start a blog. I've been putting sure. videos out for a couple of years uh, on our gym page about since I got my black belt mm-hmm. and um, podcasting. And now like dudes, it's coronavirus with my history lectures. So like I'm, I'm three <laughs> now but man blogging is something i really like and it's just like it's just something i got going on like the self-authoring program it's like man Mm -hmm. i'm super inspired by this or my student asked me about this or you know this has come up multiple times and it's just like i'm just going to turn on the camera and just talk about it just think it Mm -hmm. through uh you know sometimes every occasionally i might put some notes together or something and put a little more thought into it but man i just love that's something I've loved about vlogging because I do that through, for the gym versus yeah. the podcast is just a little different and like martial arts themed stuff that I'm like usually scratching my head about. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, man, like what, how do you, you know, like what are some things uh, you just go, you just riff with what you're inspired by on your, on your vlogs or what? You mean like when I'm doing a video, like what, like how do I plan it out or? Yeah. Like not necessarily the technique videos, but like when I see you just t- like riffing and talking about, different topics your viewers sent you like that's Mm -hmm. something i hear you talk about a lot but man i've 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 heard you riff on a lot of different topics i'm like where does he get all this 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 ammo yeah well i would say first is that i'm very very and i I know this this is going to sound silly but you know if if maybe if you're listening to this and someone's like thinking well man that sounds like a cool thing Maybe, maybe i'd like to do something like that number one is that i i limit the amount of time that i spend on my phone um, and like just screwing around on it. And I say that because I, I, I read a lot of books. I, I, I take in a lot of information and I write down and journal a lot of information. And a big reason that I have that time to do it is because I don't spend time just scrolling endlessly on Facebook and doing those sorts of things. Like I'm sort of, for me, it's just like jujitsu. If I'm going to give myself away to other people and give these things to other people, I have to fill my cup up. Right. So I've got to like take in new information and study. I've got to be watching matches. I got to be like thinking about what's going to happen so that this way, when someone comes into the gym, I have something to give them. When someone sends me a message, typically what I'll do is just simply, you know, I, I look at the question and then I think about, well, what, what could I do? What could I give this person to be helpful? And I just think about it because I get a lot of questions that really have sometimes they're completely jujitsu related and sometimes they're very not jujitsu related inside my gym. And it's been like this way for years. Like the, the videos came about because in my gym, I would be doing what I'm doing in those videos, maybe not quite as long or um, whatever, because I don't want to like go on like an eight minute tangent while everybody's kind of waiting to you know get, get out of class. But like when one of the guys maybe comes up to me after class and would ask me a question, I would basically do that for him and just like, or her, and just talk to them for a few minutes and try to be helpful. So a lot of times those videos are simply 
someone asks a question, I think of them as like an extension of my student base. I'm like, okay, like you're a person coming to me for help and here we go. And I'm, and I'm just going to share ideas with you and hopefully they're useful to you. They're not right or wrong. They, they're my ideas and I hope they're useful to you. But you know, I think for everyone, everyone needs to think for themselves. So don't listen to what I say, take it and you know maybe think about it see how it affects you if it's useful to you use it if it's not it's not no big deal and then kind of go from there and uh you know with that said a lot of times what i do is i try to make sure that i'm always filling myself up with more information um looking you know reading books and things like that. i typically read at least about a book a week um and, and just try to so i'm constantly taking something in um and it's also part of the note-taking prospect because i, I for me if i just read it or just listen to it. Cause I'm a big audiobook fan too. I've had, I've, I got an audible subscription back in like, I was listening to Dan Carlin's hardcore history back in like, I guess it was 2010. Um, I was listening nice. to, and I was like, man, it's so good. And then he was like, check out these audiobooks. I was like, okay. So I started getting to the audiobook thing, but I found that if I don't take notes, I don't remember things. And for me, I'm like, uh, I like remembering the things because like, I like to have conversations. I like to be, just be able to call this stuff off memory. And so what I do is a lot of times, whether it's an audio book or a, 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 a traditional book that I'm reading, I'm always taking notes and then sort of bringing that information together. So this way I have a better understanding of what I'm, I'm listening to or reading. So this way I can remember it. And this way, if I'm doing a, a just a random chat with someone that I want to talk to, or even if I'm doing a question, that I can have something to give them. And it just helps kind of broaden my perspective and ideas. Plus, going back to the idea of drawing from other sources, I found that the more like I, I, I get into all these different subjects that I'm in, curious about. And the more I seem to learn about everything, the more similarities and trends that I find. And it gives me a better read on what I'm doing. Um, you know, with the things that I do day to day. Man, you, you're talking a lot about taking notes, which I'm such a firm believer in. I have all of my notes uh, from all seven years that I was in college. Right. So, yeah. and I, like pulling back up and professors of mine that have passed away. It's in, in recorded lectures too. I have mm -hmm. several of my favorite professors. I recorded all their lectures. So I just kind of am always crawling back through it. But like, that's something I talk to not necessarily my jujitsu students about. I periodically will hand out some jujitsu notebooks or something. If we're doing <clears throat> something real specific, I'm like, maybe you guys want to take notes. I bought a box at the store today, just in case you want a composition notebook, but do you give yeah. like, uh, what are, what are some of your strategies for note taking? Whether that be, I, I feel like a lot of people start off like, oh, I did jujitsu class. I'm going to take a note. Uh, and what mm -hmm. I, the techniques I did, you're working on a whole other level than that. I would like to be a better note taker myself. What are some of your tips and strategies for using? Are we, are we talking about note-taking towards jiu-jitsu or just towards just information? In, in general, man, it se seems like you, it's a big part of what you do. Okay. So the way I do it is a little different from one to the other, but like, so let's say like just general information, we'll say we're reading books or something and we're just taking it in. Um, a lot of times I will, um, if it's on a Kindle, I'll copy and paste it into my, my Google docs. If it's, um, not I'll again I'll copy and paste it if I'm if I'm running and I can't like copy it or something like that if I'm like oh traveling or something I'll just write it down in a, in a traditional booklet and then I'll later put it into an electronic one because I want to reference that material um, <clears throat> but typically I'll take the, the information the passage that I read and I typically write it out because I want to have it in there and then I'll actually go through and like sort of write down how do I what do I think about this and I, what why is that idea useful to me and even write rewrite it my own words 
So basically, you know, it's like saying, okay, well, this is what he said. How would I say that? Because that means something to me. Why does it mean something to me? And then I'll kind of go through it. It's essentially like in jujitsu, it's like your coach showing you a move and then you kind of like do it, but you kind of put your own variation on it. Right. Um, and by doing that to me, when you start to really think about how something works with you specifically, you learn it on a deeper level um, and kind of going along with that note taking thing, I typically will reread certain parts of the books or re-listen to certain parts of the audiobooks or if I'm watching like a video course which I have plenty of I'll re-watch this stuff at least seven times just to try to like that repetition just like repetition of like techniques if I get a video instructional I typically go through it like seven times um, which gets really repetitive but it's kind of like you ever like watch a movie and you like get to the point where you know that movie word for word line for line it's like, if it's something like jujitsu literally is my, it's my, the thing that I make my living with. So it's like, wouldn't it be in my best interest to understand things like that on a level that like I normally would understand just really casual, nonsensical, useless stuff that I don't really care about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so for me, I'll go through and re rewatch this stuff. Now, as far as jujitsu goes, <clears throat> I don't do hardcore notes because I don't, it's, it's so hard to remember stuff. Um, when it's seen in words, so what I'll do typically is, is when I'm doing note taking in jujitsu, it's strictly on an electronic journal. And typically what I'll do is I actually have my iPad where I'll actually take, I'll, if like, say if I'm looking at an instructional or if I'm looking at a match, uh, a lot of times I like to, I like to like look at matches and break down ideas that I see. I'll take screenshots and I'll paste those into the journal. So this way I've got like this little idea where like, I'm like, okay, like when the guy does this and I'll write it up and I'll kind of basically break it down as I'm going through it. Or even um, I've got a, like a private membership with um, um, on, my, on the back end of my website. And one of the things that I do most months is I'll break down matches. And basically that's fun for me because then I'm like basically sort of looking at it myself and having to break it down for other people. And you know, probably as well as I do, when you teach something or when you're trying to break it down for other people, you have to break it down in a much more simple, digestible chunk if you're doing it well to me, if you so break it down into a simple digestible chunk so that someone else can absorb that information. And when you do that, when you take complex ideas and break them down into simple little bits, you really have to sort of think about that information on a deeper level. And so between like the journaling, the repetition, and then, like I said, just playing with this information where I'm teaching it to other people, those things give me multiple forms of accessing and sort of being active with the information. Cause I think that's the thing is like, <clears throat> there's passive learning, but the minute you, you don't necessarily have to take notes, but the minute you start to do something with the information, whether you're taking notes, whether you're teaching it to other people, where you're talking with someone about it, whatever it is, where you take an active role in the approach, it's a much more powerful way to learn. You know, like um, actually one of my emails this morning was about the fact that um, I was at a, I went to a, a class that was taught by one of my, a black belt um, years ago who showed this really cool half guard position that I'd never seen before. And I was a purple belt at the time. And I was like, the, the positions and the moves were so cool. And I, you know, we all know sometimes you leave a class and you forget, you go to a seminar, you forget some, a lot of the stuff. So I immediately um, like sort of set up a couple of open mats with my buddies that weekend. And so like I ended up teaching those techniques to three other people like separate times. I literally set up so I was giving people private lessons away because I was like, well, I'm going to teach it to them and I'm going to remember remember the moves better. And I did, I, I use the position to this day. So um, just, you know, it doesn't have to be note taking, um, but just taking an active approach with it. But uh, with note taking, that's kind of how I do some of that stuff. Going back to what I just said a few minutes ago. Man, that multimedia approach is great too. Um, 
like mine, like there's a mind mapping software I use and it's just super simple, but I can throw pictures in there. I can sure. do text. I can do a bunch of different spins on how I do the map. I haven't really used that for anything other than jujitsu, but that's something I've been doing more of too, is like making basically multimedia based notes where it's going to have picture, maybe a video text, uh, man, we're just like our capabilities on where we can bring all that stuff in or, all time high. Yeah, there was um there was a guy um his name was Ralph Waldo Emerson and um his his um I started changing the way that I did notes after I read his biography because he he there was a biography by him called The Mind on Fire and in that biography they talk about the fact that um the guy that was that was writing about him was talking about the fact that this dude had a, like a, a whole library of journals and the journals were like. Um, like, you know, put in alphabetical order and there was an index in them. So if he opened it up, it would tell him what would the journals were about. And he supposedly would go back to these journals because, you know, you might read a really cool bit about some information. And then if you want to recall that information, you have to have some sort of process to do it. So for me, I'm not quite that organized with my traditional notes that I have, like in my notebooks. So I still use them because I still like the idea of pen and paper and things like that. But whenever I come across some really good ideas, I put them into an electronic journal. So this way, if I want to go back and say, man, what was that idea that I read about this one thing? I can just put it in a search fun function and I can find it. And that allows me to have that information to draw upon, whether you know I'm doing a particular thing for like a, you know, a vlog or a blog or an email, or you know, maybe it's just an idea that I want to share with someone that I, I want to be able to recall. Um, and sometimes it's just ideas and thoughts that I want to look back and think, see what I was writing about at the time, that kind of stuff. So having it to where I can access it in some ways is really useful. So, man, have you always been this the chewy persona? I saw a picture of you getting. <laughs> I saw a picture of you getting your bite belt, and I was like, "Is this the same man?" Yeah. Did, did you have no so, beard? Yeah. So, so when you say chewy persona, who? What do you mean? Like, like when you say if I was always the chewy persona, like what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I just see the beard, and I'm like, the dude's name's Chewy, and I saw yeah. like some Chewbacca on your stuff, and I'm like, well, it makes sense. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So that nickname actually didn't come from anything. It had nothing to do with Chewbacca. So basically what happened was, is when I was a white belt, by the way, I didn't have a beard really in any sense until about, well, I didn't have one for a long period of time until 2016. Um, but basically what happened was, is when I was a white belt, I was, a, I was the, um, the spaz. I was the white belt spaz. I had wrestled um, in high school. And uh, at the time I was, uh, I was trying to lose a couple pounds and so I was taking this stuff called ripped fuel, which was basically, it was, um, if anybody remembers they it was, it was the ECA stack. So it was ephedrine, caffeine, and aspirin, which would help basically raise your core body temperature and you'd lose weight. And so I'm taking this stuff. And so I'm friggin' wired to the gills and I'm training and I'm spazzy and I'm all this stuff. And, um, when, uh, when I was rolling with one of the guys that was a little bit more advanced than me, one day we were rolling, he was cutting weight for a fight. And so he was not really in, you know, he's, he's kind of irritable because, well, he was irritable just because he, he was always kind of a hard ass anyway, but then he was cutting weight for a fight. So he's more irritable. And one day I came up and like elbowed him in the mouth, like every, you know, like sort of clumsy white belt does. And he called me a big dumb Wookiee. And it went from big dumb Wookiee to Chewbacca and Chewie. It just stuck. And like, so for whatever reason, that's what happened. You know, that was, uh, that was where the nickname came from. Really didn't have anything to do with being hairy or anything. Cause I, I really didn't start to grow much like facial hair or even like chest hair or anything until I was about 24, 25. And, it just, and then it came in with a, with a vengeance. How old are you now? 
35. Yeah. I'm 33. So yeah, I'm an old man. Well, so you got, did you get into jujitsu like right after high school? How long have you been training? Yeah, I got into jujitsu during high school. So it was like the end of my senior year. Um, I wrestled uh, in high school for about three years and I was just like, I loved, I loved wrestling. I loved the atmosphere in the mat room. It was for a person who felt awkward almost all the time. It was like one of the few places that I felt right. And it was neat because in the, in the wrestling room, you had these people where you had the cool kids, right? You had the coolest kids in classes. You had the geekiest kids in classes. I was maybe towards the geekier end of the spectrum. And everybody was on the same point. We were brothers, right? We were, we were all in this together. And, and during the wrestling season, there was this connection, this bond between all these different people, different colors, different socioeconomic levels, different, um, you know, like sort of like levels of coolness in the school none of it mattered you know we were all in the mats together pushing each other and um i was always that was like i remember being in high school and being like halfway depressed whenever wrestling season wasn't going on i was waiting for it to be back and then as soon as wrestling season was going man i was having i it was like hard the training was friggin awful sometimes and you know you're dealing with all this anxiety and stress because you're competing like almost like every week multiple times a week but man i loved that feeling about being in the, that group with people and so when I got out of high school or when I was getting towards the end of high school, I was like, I got to fight or I got to do something. I was drawn to do this thing. And so I remember um, I started doing jujitsu in May of 2003. And when I walked into the room, it was like that instant feel of the, the wrestling mat room. And I was hooked immediately. I was like, I, I gotta, I've got to do this. And so I've been training. Um, obviously, I've had breaks and layoffs just like everybody else has to some degree. But since May of 2003 is when I started. When did you first open your, uh, your school? You own an academy now, correct? Yeah, I own an academy now with a business partner. So um, my first gym actually was in 2007. And um, I actually sort of like signed all of the paperwork and stuff for my old coach. Didn't work out. I left. And then um, I became the head coach in 2000, at my gym in 2000, like 2009, 2010. There was a sort of a gradual shift. I started doing this stuff full time in 2010 and I was just coaching at the time. And then me and my business partner, uh, Joe, we bought the, the gym in 2014 um, from my friend. So basically we had been building it up. I was coaching since 2010. And so we basically, we put a deal together and we bought the gym outright in 2014. And then it's, it's grown a ton since then. Nice. Nice. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, when did you first start getting traction with like your videos and stuff? I've, I've probably been seeing your stuff pop up for three or four years. And like, I, I mean, I'm just gonna be honest. Like I, that's where I first saw about, uh, heard about you and saw you and started watching you is I would see actually your, uh, like little picture in the picture at the bottom of the screen, it would always say jujitsu. And I was like, damn, what a good name. It's like jujitsu, but jujitsu. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but um, what got, I mean, you know, how long, how long have you been doing those? So I guess I started in earnest. Um, I, I was doing technique videos in 2000. I had a blog. Let's go back a little bit. So I had a blog since 2012. I got a blog. Everybody like was opening blogs. So I'm gonna get a blog. Right. And I was writing on that blog, which again, going back to the idea of self-authoring, I was going through this blog and sort of like, I, you know, I, I was always kind of like, I, I wanted to do YouTube videos since back in 2009. I remember I was like, I was doing some gear review videos is what I was doing as I was trying to set them up. And um, I remember 
I wasn't quite as polished as a speaker back then. And uh, my girlfriend was laughing at me, you know? And like, so I, like, I sort of got cold feet. And so I didn't post the videos up and I never started back then. I, so I wish I would have started, but at the same time, I had this period in 2012 to 2000, like 14, 15, where I was writing on this blog all the time and really ironing out my ideas on training philosophies and things like this. It was really useful. Um, so then in 2014, 2015 is when I started doing the videos. And in 2015, moving into 2016 was when I really started to like do them on a consistent basis, understood what I was doing, how to like share my message in the way that I wanted to share it. And uh, 2016 to 2000, I would say people where it really started to become something that I was so surprised about was probably 2017. That was where like all of a sudden, like people were coming up to me at tournaments, like crazy. And like people were stopping me at airports and stuff where I'm like, oh, Hey, what's up? Like it, it grew into something that like totally surprised me, but that was around 2017. Did I, so like, here's a real interesting question. Like, and it may take me a second to kind of explain this. I feel like yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in some jujitsu, you know, parts of the community, there's this weird stigma. I feel like about maybe it's not your girlfriend telling you to not post videos, watch videos, but like, I'm going to tell you, like I was deterred for like 2009, I was wanting to post videos too. And I wasn't, um, let's see, 2009, I would have been like blue, purple belt or something. But mm -hmm. like, as soon as I started uh, coaching, I was like, I want to provide these resources, like capture at least what we're going on in class, like different things I wanted to do. I got <clears throat> some sponsorships at purple belt and stuff when I was competing a lot in brown belt. And it's like, I never started doing any videos on the until the tail end of my brown belt, because a lot of people I was kind of like polling and it wasn't the people I was like watching their videos or anything, but mm -hmm. it's like, well, you know, if you record your, your information, people won't come to your class. Like mm -hmm. stuff like weird stuff. I've heard people say that I just, I never identified with man. And I get this Uber um, creative like it like parches my thirst when I put a, a, a video out, you know, it like it satiates sure. a need I have to create content, whether it's a history lecture <clears throat> or, or a jujitsu technique or a vlog or, or whatever it is. Well, you're a teacher. Like so you're, yes. you're teaching stuff. And so you have this drive <laughs> to teach things and put them out there in the world. It, do you think that's just like some old school mentality? Like some people are super hardcore against jujitsu videos and I've never understood it personally. You mean like um, people like, like, are you, so your question is basically asking me about whether or not like, or talking about the idea of people being against YouTube videos. Yeah. Like, did you ever experience that? Like any people in your support system being like, now Chewy, you, you know, you, Nick, which I didn't even know your name forever, dude. But yeah, right. um, yeah, nobody knows my name. <laughs> I was like, I had to look it up. I was like, because people were like, you should have Chewy on. And I was like, yeah, I should. And I was like, but what's that guy's name? So I can His find real name. I got to find this guy somewhere. But like, I remember um, there was just like this overwhelming uh, sense when I was coming up of like, uh, almost like, hey, you know, like you're watching jujitsu on YouTube and you think you're going to get better. And then it kind of transferred to this other thing of like, you're going to put yourself out there, but you're not a black belt or mm -hmm. like it, it. And at that time I was like uh, purple brown belt, but it's like, Oh, well maybe I shouldn't. Oh, are you saying that's bad? You know, but mm -hmm. I, I've heard that. I've heard that narrative 
in kind of both those directions. I never really understood it, but it did deter me as a content creator, at least in jujitsu, from putting mm -hmm. myself out there. And now, now on the uh, other side of that, I feel real stupid about it. Like I should have done it sooner or sh shouldn't have listened to things I did, that didn't line up with the, with what I thought, you know? Yeah, you know, it's weird because jujitsu doesn't have like this thing where like, okay, you now have passed and you have this like uh, accreditation to you and you are now have this little letter next to your name and um, or anything like that, right? The thing is, is there is something to beginners not like trying to teach other people. There's something to that, right? Like, because like, here's the thing. Let's say if you had an incredibly charismatic person that had been training for i mean let's just be honest there's a lot of junk on youtube as far as technical stuff there's a lot of bs out there there's i mean there's so much out there that, that, like if you even in jujitsu like I've, I've looked at guys that um there's some pretty popular old youtube channels where they were showing moves where i'm like i wouldn't teach this for anyone like this is a terrible move um and like you know i had students that would come in and like try it they would like and uh, they would ask me, and I'm like, look, man, like, I'm not going to tell you yes or no, because, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sort of say that n it's not going to work, but hey, give it a whirl, see how it works for you. And if you start getting choked out because of it, well, then, you know, that's, it is what it is. But there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And so I think that maybe sometimes it can be good to maybe really own your skills first before you decide to show because it, then you're going to, you're going to show out you're, you're, you know, because again, I think one of the reasons why my channel has done so well, like, I mean, it's, it's one of the more popular jujitsu channels is because I had something to give people. Right. So I'd spend a lot of time writing, dialing in my philosophy on training and the way that I want to do things, my sort of like mindset uh, philosophies and all these different things. I, I dial into my training. I, I got good at jujitsu and I spent a lot of time teaching. I spent before I really was posting YouTube videos, I'd been teaching every single day, multiple times a day for friggin' four or five years. So I had something I'd been coaching before that since 2007 or so. So I've been I've been doing this stuff for a long time. So when it, it came time to actually share a little bit more I was in a better place to have something to give. And so I think that that's, it's not a bad thing to like really build yourself up before you then give something out to people. That said, there's going to have to be a point where I think for a lot of people, it's going to have to be like cart before the horse, because, you know, a lot of times for us, if we're kind of naturally humble people, which I am, I tend to be kind of lean that way. I have this idea of who am I, who am I to do this? Right. And then again, it's like, well, who is anyone to do anything? You know, if you have something to share, share it and people either like it or they don't like it. Um, but as far as like learning off of YouTube, to go back to one of your questions, you know, I learned from YouTube like since it was like a thing. Like, I mean, granted, when I first started, YouTube wasn't a thing. YouTube didn't become a thing until I was a purple belt. And um, I was at that point where at that point is purple, but I could kind of like look through things and kind of get a good idea and try stuff out. And so I was, uh, I loved jujitsu. And I mean, I had instructional videos from the time I started. Um, and I used to use those. I had, I bought mats and in, in my basement and me, and my, my roommate, we used to always drill with each other. So, um, you know, I, uh, I think YouTube videos are fine. I think that, you know, as coaches, like with my students, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just tell them like, look, if you see a video and you want like some guidance on it, let me see it. Like show me, show it to me at the end of class and we can take a look at it and I can kind of direct you in a good place. So this way I can make sure that you're not learning something that's bad or not going to be useful to you or something like that. But, uh, I think that, uh, you know, obviously YouTube and Instagram and stuff like all that stuff's here to stay. Um, the one thing that I would say is that I feel like 
people sometimes will do things solely for likes solely for people to watch it. So like they'll show some move that's absolutely crazy looking and it looks fun, but it would never work on anyone, but it looks cool. So like, you're like, Hey, here it is. You know? And I think that sometimes like I had a white belt one time who showed me this move and I watched it, man. And I, I'm looking at it and the guy's flipping upside down and he's going around and then somehow ends up in a back take with a lapel strung around. I'm like, dude, look, you're not ready for this. Like, let's go over here and let's focus on this, this full guard thing and this half guard stuff that we've been teaching stick here first, maybe somewhere down the road that might be useful to you. But you know, um, again, a lot of times the, the sniff test is when for me is I watch competitions and you don't see a lot of that stuff in competition. So you'll see some, but you won't see too much of the crazy stuff in competitions. And to me, I, I'm a practical guy. So what I want is I want something that works. I don't need something. I don't want like theoretical techniques that look fun. I want like the real practical stuff that I know that if I try this, this has a high percentage chance of working because I've seen it several times in all these different competitions. And, you know, competitions, while they're not everything, they're an incredibly stressful situation that we can place ourselves into. And a lot of times, like, funny techniques that aren't really technically sound, they break down under the stress of a really hard uh, match against, you know, people that are highly skilled. Yeah, for real. And that was something I wanted to talk to you about is I feel like you maybe have just based off what you said about match breakdowns and just your overall approach and based things I've read about you heard you say is that I'd say you have kind of like a competition formula maybe is, is what I was thinking when I was reading about like, I mean, you, you have been able to produce some world champions and stuff. Is that correct? I've got some young guys. I haven't produced a black belt world champion. I have like a couple of guys that have won it like blue belt and purple belt and, and stuff like that. And, and those things. And I've had a, uh, I had a, like a, I had a brown belt this year who won in the, or last year rather. And then I had a, a blue belt who placed, uh, and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, I've got some guys that do well. I mean, we, when we go to compete, we do pretty darn well. I'm not going to say that we're like, you know, the, uh, the next top whatever, um, because most of my guys are, they're hobbyists, you know what I mean? So like, but they're doing pretty well for themselves. Yeah. But like how, um, what goes, what goes into that, man? I mean, like we have gone to pans worlds, American nationals, been to worlds three times and, Man, I would say it's like a formula that at least with like IBJJF sport competition, mm -hmm. I'm still personally working on like, and we don't have a ton of people that want to pursue the IBJJF route. Like we have a bunch of people that compete in AGFs yeah. and um, just, just smaller stuff. But man, it's like when I was reading about you going to Pans and Worlds and stuff and having success, I was like, that is like, you know, for me, I've always seen like, okay, that takes a special team, a creative person, but maybe I'm just not tapped in. One of my coaches has taken second at PANS and he's produced a couple of world champions, but yeah. it's not somebody I'm, I'm on the mat with every day. I mean, he's, he's like one of my best friends. He was in my wedding, but I don't get to train and roll with him all the time. And we share philosophies, but it just seems like it's a very specific, uh, model to to go be successful in IBJJF I'm always fascinated by how people do it yeah I mean you know I, I think one you do have to train for the rules um, and you have to know the rules and you have to train for that kind of thing you got to train for those type of points because you know you could take someone that you know on a day-to-day -day role could 
like let's say we have grappler A and grappler B. Grappler, they, they wrestle with each other and roll with each other in the gym and like they both go tit for tat, right? And then the competition in IBGF runs around and, you know, grappler A doesn't play well to the points. They don't keep those in mind and they give up space and grappler B beats them on, you know, a small margin and they win. It's a, it's a game, you know, we're, we're playing a game in that sense. And so you've got to be mindful of what you're doing and be very tight in position. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things that when it comes time for like a point-based tournament, you got to be very tight in position and you really have to know your game plan. How am I going, like, how am I going to score? How am I going to use the game that I have in the best of its abilities to beat this person? Um, and I usually tell people to have like an A and a B plan, you know? So for instance, my A plan is take down guard pass, take the back um, or take an arm bar or excuse me, a, a Kimura type position. If, if, if I can't get to the back plan B is I'm going to pull half guard. I'm going to sweep. I'm going to get on top. I'm going to pass, you know, it's like, and so I know my game. And so a lot of times I can just make the adjustments as necessary. So, um, having your game plan and knowing how to work it in that system is very important. And then, you know, you're going to have to train harder than what's normal, you know, like uh, the, the regular, just I'm going to roll a little bit and stuff. That's just not going to be enough. Um, you know, you're going to have to be strength training. You're going to have to be doing extra cardio. Um, you'll need to be, um, I, some people don't like to drill that much, but you will need to have some sort of focus on your training. Um, a lot of people I like to drill, but for some people that don't like to drill, you need to be like leading up to that competition six to eight weeks out. You should be rolling in the gym every day. And this is one of the reasons why I don't like competing as much anymore is because it makes my jiu-jitsu very boring because when it comes time to train, I'm basically doing the same thing over and over again because I want to make sure that when the competition rolls around, I'm like a robot. I'm not having to think. I'm on autopilot. I'm basically going through these techniques that I've been drilling and using during class for the last six to eight weeks. So when I go compete, there's no hiccups. There's no thinking. There's just boom, boom, boom. I'm, I'm just executing. And, um, you know, I think that that requires a certain level of discipline that a lot of times people don't want to put forward. Um, but as far as that goes, and then, I, and then I think it's also as far as for in a situation, I don't know what your situation's like. When I started really wanting to take my competition game up, I went and started training with uh, my coach now, uh, Sean Hammonds, down in Tennessee. And I was, at the time, I was a brown belt. And uh, I used to go down to his gym. I'd leave. He's in Nashville. I'm in Kentucky, or in Louisville, which is about three hours difference. And, um, or three hours traveling, two and a half maybe. And um, I would get up on Thursday mornings, I'd get up around 6 a.m. I'd go drive down there, get down there, you know, train with everybody, do a couple classes down there with Sean and his guys and do their competition class in the morning. And then I would leave and come up to my gym that night and I would teach whatever I learned. And then I would like, basically whatever I was learning there, I was going to teach it and I would try to use it on everybody. And then like, you know, again, going back to the idea of teaching other people, using that information in multiple different ways, not just letting it sit on the shelf. And, um, you know, I, sort of, I, I went down there one week and, and basically stayed at their gym or I didn't say their gym, I stayed in a hotel, but I trained with them for a solid week, just absorbing the things. Cause at the time Sean was producing Pan Am champions left and right. And so I was like, okay, He's I gotta incredible. learn. Yeah. I, I just gotta figure out what this guy's doing. And, um, you know, then I could sort of model after that. And so I think that a lot of times, you know, um, it's useful, it's useful to be in an environment with those things are, where those kind of things are going on. So you can kind of then absorb it um, intuitively and then sort of model after it a little bit. 
right? You know, I think that having models are really useful. So like in jujitsu, we model after our coaches when we're doing techniques, we see them do it and we try to model it for our own body. And so I think that sometimes as coaches and things like that, we can go to other people and see how they do things and be like, well, I like that. I don't like that. And I'm going to take this back to my gym. And a lot of my gym was influenced by some of those uh, training sessions that I did with Sean back in 2008 and 2009. But as far as a formula, you know, basically whenever we get ready for competitions, the training gets harder we push ourselves harder. There's more hard rolling that, you know, the, the intensity in the roles is tougher. Um, you know, it's it just, it's, it's a different vibe. It's, it's not as uh, it's, we still, we still have a great time, but it's not as like, just relaxed. I mean, we're, we're pushing each other. Did, did it take you a while to figure that out? Like, uh, for example, for us, I had a real similar uh, set of results when we first started competing and, and uh, having a boxing club. Like, okay. man, our first several boxing fights, we went out and had, like, no success, losing decisions yeah. every time. But then, man, we started winning. We started mm -hmm. taking uh, – like, last year, I had a, a kid take second in Golden Gloves. This is his 15th fight. But, nice. he, but the kid that he lost to had had 200 fights, and it was a split decision loss. Mm -hmm. So, over time, like you're saying, we tweaked the formula and it got better. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what's interesting is like, I do, we do have a lot more success on a regional level versus the IBJJF and it could just be a little tighter play, a little more strategy. But mm -hmm. did, was there like a learning curve? Did it take you guys a long time or like three years to kind of adapt and model and overcome and uh, play to the rules and et cetera? I don't know, man. You know, like we, um, I think that like for me, like I'd been competing so much, like since I was like, I, I mean, I was competing in wrestling two weeks into jujitsu. I did my first jujitsu competition. You know, I was just like, I want, it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to compete. I wanted to test myself. Um, and so when, like when I became the head coach in 2009, 2010, when that, that phase, um, we did our first, you know, tournament, our regional tournament, we started doing well. And, um, you know, several of my guys did plenty, uh, plenty well at any of the, the bigger tournaments that we've gone to. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess there wasn't as, uh, you know, as big as a, as, as big as like a, there was not as much of a curve there. I mean, we still lose some though, you know, and things like that. And you learn from them and you try to do your best. Um, one of the things that I, th I think that, and, and this might just be me, I'm such a, like, um, I'm kind of a boring human. Like there's, I, I have a few activities that I get into and then I dive into those things because I want to like, I want to crack them open and really get into them for a lot of people. Like it's, it's frustrating sometimes because I'm like, I, I wish they would train more um, when they're getting ready for a competition, because I'm like, bro, like push yourself, like, like, you know, do more, like train more or whatever. And again, I know that people have other things that they've got to do, but I don't know, whenever I was getting ready for a competition back in the day, I was obsessed with winning. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I got to get in there and do this stuff. And so I trained a lot more. Um, I, I'll tell you what, the one thing that honestly, this is more for my personal competing that was that on uh, sort of changed things was when I like got to black belt and won a couple tournaments, I found this really nice place mentally where I no longer cared about the out outcome. Granted, I wanted to win and there was a strong desire to win. There was this feeling of like, if I lose this match, I'm still good at stuff, you know, because I used to personally identify with like winning and losing. So if I lost, I felt like shit. If I, if I won, I felt great. And now I get to the point where like I've, I've experienced so many failures. I've done so, so much, look, you know, I've done a lot. So regardless of win or lose, 
I've still a lot, done a lot of stuff. So it's been, it's been really useful because it's allowed me to play with a certain openness in my game where you're not hamstrung by any reservations or nervousness or anything like that. And, you know, you can be excited. You can be, ex, you know, really going after the win, um, but you're not hamstrung by the what ifs if I do this or that or whatever. So uh, for personally, that's been really useful to me. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely empathize with that. Uh, it's um, that's something I've actually thought of recently. And man, like one thing too, like, that I, like I haven't competed in probably three years. It's been about three years, but man, I was always just trying to like be a better version of myself for the competition. And that's mm -hmm. something I don't really miss. Like I just exercise now cause I want to live longer and spend more yeah. time with my life mm -hmm. and feel better and have better quality of life. It literally has nothing. There's no, uh, you know, agenda. And then mm -hmm. too, like with the podcast or teaching history or, playing guitar, whatever it is, I, I have a few interests that I do. But man, like now it's like if I have a bad day on the mat, it does not mess with my identity like it used to, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, I, that's one thing I don't really miss about um, the competition grind is like, man, I was, it, it was always kind of like high stress, you're, you're jacked up, you got, I was always thinking, I just tell people this in hindsight, like, I was always thinking I needed to be a certain version of myself on a certain day, which was the mm -hmm. day of the competition. Sure. And I don't think that was a healthy way to, to be as a competitor, you know, like that was my takeaway, but, but maybe it did. Maybe that was part of my success. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I think everybody finds their own way of doing things. I just think that there's something, you see this again and again with different competitors in different sports, uh, not just jujitsu, but you see this thing where once people do something and like, they've proven themselves either to themselves or to their tribe or whatever, what, what have you, their ego softens a little bit in a good way where basically, or you can even say hardens rather, because basically, you know, when you lose and you become identified with it, your ego is not secure enough to handle the loss, right? Your, your self-construction of yourself. When you know deep down inside of you that you're good at something that like, no matter what, you're, you're worthy, that you're good at something, that you're a badass or whatever it is that you want to think about yourself. But deep down, when you know that that, that sort of idea is solidified, and then when something happens where you lose or you fail at something and it just bounces back off of you, you're in a unique place because then you can go after something like I, like for now, like I don't, if I lose, I don't give a shit. Like it doesn't matter. Um, it matters, but it doesn't matter that much. But that allows me then to compete on a whole new level of, of, of skill because I'm not hamstrung by anything. When I compete, I'm incredibly aggressive and I'm having a blast. Like it's fun. It's like it, where it used to be nerve wracking and stuff. Now it's like I get the nerves, but they're excitement. It's not necessarily nervousness, it's excitement. I'm ready to go. And then when I'm competing, I'm having a ball out there, you know? And then it's like I'm having fun because I'm in the moment. It's like this moment where you're 100% present. Like there's nothing more important than what's going on right at this very moment. It's absorbing all my thoughts. Nothing else matters. And I'm 100% present for this day, that this thing that I'm doing. And, um, you know, it, win or lose, it's, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. And so it's changed my competitions around completely because of that, that mindset where my ego, my self-construction of myself has become nice and solidified. And I can take on any sort of failure that comes or any sort of mishap or any sort of negative thing that comes my way because deep down I know like, like I did these things, I've proven myself to myself and so I'm good.
you know? And so that was, that was helpful for me. And so even when I compete now, like I, or even when I'm training for a competition, I train really hard, but I'm still having a blast. And if I have a bad day, eh, whatever, I'll have a good day tomorrow. You know, just, it is what it is. Um, I don't beat myself up nearly as much as I used to, like you were kind of talking about, cause I used to do that as well. So man, something I want, wanted to mention, just uh, followed a little bit about you. Yeah. Uh, commenting on this and read about it uh with all of this comes you, the busted shoulders and the, the way well, i think you've had two knee injuries mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. two knee surgeries mm -hmm. uh, two knee surgeries so which were like those were meniscal tears right yeah were both bad. of yeah. them Mis which, meniscus tears which is like a little shorter i guess like a shorter injury uh, recovery time right mm-hmm mm -hmm. Like I got a guy, um, and he wanted me to ask you about this. It's going, he just tore his whole ACL mm. out in in the gym. It was a total fluke deal, you know. Like when somebody has you in side mount, and you could, if they're on this side, you could step that side leg, like over their leg, and oh, you're on yeah, bottom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've never been a fan of that for the bad idea reason I'm telling you, which you could kind of set through to like scarf hold if somebody does it to you and get out, but. He some fluke deal happened. He tore his ACL, mm. and he's a military guy. He's a, he's an EMT. He's a great dude. He was like, I was just about to promote him to blue belt, you know. And it's like he's looking at a long term recovery, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, what sort of what sort of things have you experienced either with students or with your own injuries? Have you had any longer term injuries? Do you have any advice for people dealing with that? Um. You know, I've, I've had like the meniscus tears. Um, I've had a, I've had some weird stuff like spider bites that took me off the, I don't know. I just had my first spider bite ever oh, on man. my forearm. Yeah. I'm, t I'm telling you, I had a, I had a brown recluse bite that got, that got so bad that I had to go to the hospital. I was in, I was in the, the hospital for a week and I had to have a, a chunk of my leg removed um, on my side of my leg. So, so if you ever meet me on my left leg, I have this scar that's about as it's about as long as uh, my about this much of my index finger, and um, basically it was it was a gnarly thing, and so that that kind of kept me out for a while because I had a big hole in my leg. Um, but you know, regardless of what it is, whatever the injury is, it's it is what it is, man. Like you know, again, I know that sometimes people will poo-poo on jujitsu because they'll say, oh man, you're just going to get injured, and yeah, you'll probably if you're going to train long enough, you're going to get injured. That's what's going to happen. But here's the funny thing: I've met people that do nothing right they're injured i've met people that have other in sport interests and they got injured we seem to forget that we're in a body that is constantly in a state of decay right like our body is breaking down ever so slowly and it gets worse and worse and worse as we get older there's no way around that it just is what it is we, we only get this thing this bucket of flesh and bones for a limited time right? It's not here forever. And, um, and so that said, like, you know, injuries will come and they'll go. The important thing I think is about just sort of treating it like anything else. It's an unfortunate circumstance and you, it's always perspective, right? You can look at it however you want to. You can sort of feel woe is me and you can get down in the dumps about it. And that's easy to do, right? You can go out and start like drowning your sorrows in like cheeseburgers and sodas and whatever else and alcohol or whatever it is that you want to do. But you can also just look at it as like, look, it sucks. It's an unfortunate happening, but I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it on top of or on the other end of this and I'll be all right. I have um, 
people in my gym who've had eight torn ACLs. Like one of them was a woman who she rides horses for a living and the damn horse just chucked her off and her leg got caught and she tore her ACL. Um, she's back. Like she's back. She, it took her a while to get, get back in there. And, but she constantly was like working and she did her all her PT and she finally got back in and training. She's been with us for back for a bit. Um, so I think it's all about perspective. You know, everything that we look at, it can be an insurmountable thing that basically folds us and crushes us, or we can look at it and we can say, you know what, it's just an unfortunate circumstance. I'm going to get through this. You know, there's the, uh, the famous story about Gordo, um, Herberto Correa, Correa, I don't know how to say it. Uh, I don't know Portuguese very well, but basically his nickname is Gordo. He was in like a bad motorcycle accident. His legs got all mangled and beat up and stuff like that. And uh, he was experiencing a lot of injuries. Well, he wanted to train again, but his, me his knees were messed up. So he started playing half guard. And he was one of the dudes that sort of innovated the half guard back in the day, you know, and he did it as a byproduct of injuries, um, you know. And so again, like, again, perspective. He could have been like, I can't play this position anymore. I can't play all the stuff I was doing. I got to quit. Uh, but he did. And so for, I think for a lot of people, if you get injured, they're going to happen. It's all about your perspective of the way that you choose to deal with them. You know, you can look at it and you can look at it as an unfortunate circumstance and you can basically do whatever it is that you can do, you know, whatever you can do now, just keep doing that. And then, uh, you know, get back to training or get back to whatever it is that you're planning to do and, and make it happen. Um, but I would avoid allowing yourself to get down into that, that sort of woe is me, you know, sort of thing that people can do that sort of self pity that people can get into uh, from their injuries. Cause that's not a, it's just not a resourceful place to come from. Yeah, no, that's, that's big. And like, man, I, I asked that question too, from just a place like as a coach, you know, like I, yeah. I, I, I feel so bad when I have students that are sucks. struggling with injuries. And I mean, I've been there too. And I, it sucks for me, but I feel I've, I carry, I feel like I carry their burden a little bit too. You know, it's like, Oh, I want you back on the mat. Well, sure. And, and also I'll, it's on, it's you're, you're there teaching them and they got hurt and you, it sucks. Cause you feel you're not, you're not responsible, but you feel like partly responsible. You're like, golly, you know, it's like, it could be the most freak accident ever, but you're like, ah, you got hurt on the mat while I was teaching. And that sucks. Yeah. Well, man, last, uh, last question here and we can wrap it up. Um, okay. One thing I wanted to get your take on is, and since I've been involved with jujitsu, when like uh, I had um, Ari from Submissions One Hundred and One on the podcast somewhat recently, and let's mm -hmm. just say like when he was when he was a purple belt putting videos out on the internet in like two thousand seven, mm -hmm. right? From then until now, and like what we just said about you know video content and jujitsu, it's everywhere. It's everybody's got it. Jiu-Jitsu has changed and evolved from like me being in Arkansas, like the only blue belt I knew was my coach. And yeah. his, his coach was like one of the only black belts in the state and was our the first black belt in the state. And now it's like, we've got over 50 black belts in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. It's changed. Like uh, just in my time, I've been almost 14 years on the mats. And it's like really remarkable to think about, especially like as a historian, like I'm like, that's a that's a lot of evolution in a in an area around a community. What do you think the next ten years, fourteen years is going to look like? I mean, perspective wise, like what's your take on on what things, what direction things may be headed? I guess it depends on how uh, how uh, people deal with being close to one another uh, again goes. Because <laughs> right now, you know, everybody's still a little bit spooked about the, all the different uh, viruses and stuff. Um, 
10 years from now, you know, I haven't really thought about that. Um, hmm. If it continues on its current trajectory, um, I think that one of the things that you'll see is you'll start to see a lot more money involved in jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, you already see it compared to when we were starting back in the day. You already see a much – you see a lot more monetary um, opportunities for people inside jiu-jitsu, right? Um, I recently did a question that's not posted up yet uh, for my YouTube channel, but it was basically why um, – Someone was asking, why don't more uh, high-level jiu-jitsu players go to MMA? You know, because only a small fraction go to MMA. And, uh, you know, I, I told him, I, I said that, you know, back in the day, they did. All of them did. Like, all the old fighters back then, he went to yeah, jiu-jitsu guys went to MMA. I think a lot of them don't now because they don't have to. Because, you know, back in the day, it was, if, <laughs> it was almost that you graduated with this degree in fighting, in ground fighting and you're like, well, what do I do with this thing? You know, it's like, well, I guess I can fight. That's what I can do. I can go to MMA to make some money. And, you know, as an athlete, you only have this little window of time that you have to do that. And it's, it's quick. So you, if you're going to get it, you got to get the getting while it's good. And so they would go fight for a small while. Um, so I, and now you see a lot more monetary opportunities for people to be pure jujitsu practitioners, um, coaches, gym owners, things like that. And so I think that I imagine that the, the business, the, the money side will probably continue to increase, which I think will open up really cool competing opportunities. It'll, it'll open up um, opportunities for people to compete um, on a sort of more consistent basis more often. I think you'll see more of that. Um, you know, it, it's really, it really, I, I don't really know. It's, it's hard to say, you know, the people are going to keep growing. So you're probably going to start to have more and more gyms. Uh, even more so than what we have now. And you'll probably have these gyms that are really large, right? Like, like for instance, my gym, when I think about the way that it's grown, when I first started coaching, I had pretty much white and blue belts to train. That was it. When I was a brown and black belt. I promoted my first, my very first purple belt was promoted in 2000, um, 2011, late 2011 we now have a, I have a wall that's growing. So I take a picture of each one of my black belts and they go up on the wall and we've got like, um, I want to say we've, I, I'm offhand. It's, I've got about 10 black belts. Wow. Right? You know, so like, it's like, so like when we're on the mat, like I've got, um, I've got a private Facebook group for all of my purple belts and up. Um, it's like our little group where I'll talk to them about stuff and combined we've got like, I think it's like 70 higher belts of purple belt or up. Right. It's like, so to think about the fact that, that just 2011 to 2020, seven years, we went from having, I got my first purple belt I got to promote. Now I've got like 70 up and up. You know, granted, some of them come from other gyms, but it's a lot of students. Our, our gym's a pretty big gym. And to see how much that's grown, it's just, it's mind boggling to me uh, to look back and think about that. And so I don't know where it's going to go in 10 years. I imagine that, you know, as long as the sport continues to grow, you have more competing opportunities, more monetary options for people to do jujitsu full time, and I think that you'll have more, um, more innovation. I think that the positions are going to. I mean, the positions don't really change all that much. It's just people develop new weapons for them. They kind of come back and like people kind of re, re, redo them a little bit. Um, but you'll continue to see that innovation where people kind of like keep re, rehashing new stuff and, and making some new tweaks on new positions or on the positions and stuff like that. Um, but I think what I think what honestly surprises me more right now is the rate 
at which positions are being developed. Um, because you see this, like back in the day, there was a little bit more sort of a static nature to a lot more of the positions. They didn't change as fast with the proliferation that, you know, you have like, you know, sort of aided by the internet. I mean, you know, the guy who's developed this new system can share his stuff on an instructional or through streaming video. And then you have people anywhere in the, around the world that can be watching it and training it. I mean, and you know, you can learn from it. And so that's kind of a crazy thing that just really didn't exist back when I was starting for the first few years. And that's, that's really relatively new. And I think that that raises the overall sort of level of jujitsu. Because you see people in like these random places in like the middle of nowhere who have been watching these instructional DVDs and like watching them like a hawk and they've getting they've gotten very good um, using this information. And so it's, it's kind of interesting. So I'm just kind of rambling right now, but I don't I don't know where it's going to be. I just think that it'll be kind of a continuation of what's going on now and things will continue to get bigger. The gyms will get more populated. You'll have more coaches. You'll have more com competitions and more competitors. Um, that kind of thing. So I think that will continue to uh, just continue to increase. Yeah, man. One of the most interesting things kind of you hit on this, it made me think about it. It's like when I show my students something I learned at Brown belt mm -hmm. or, and they're getting it like blue belt, white belt. And it's like, Oh, you're, you're not going to have to wait 10 years to know yeah. this, my friend. Like you can oh, learn yeah. it right now. I had to wait 10 years. So I collected this one. But that's something that I see happening more and more because of the internet. And I think that, like, I heard Keenan, like, talk some shit, uh, like, a while back where he was, like, blasphemy. Hickson would have just been a purple belt, but, you know, mm -hmm. at this time. But, like, I, I, A, Hickson is, like, the greatest seminar I've ever been to in my whole life. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm not saying I agree with that, but I yeah. do kind of get – like, he's kind of saying what we're saying in a way of, like, the levels have changed. Yeah, I mean, bro, it's like, so we, we all build on the shoulders of giants, right? So the fact that someone got to a certain level with what they had, and then we built off of them, right? So then they basically said, hey, listen, I'm going to share everything that I know so you don't have this, have all the same problems I did. And then we build off of them. And then we get to a certain point. And then when our students come in, instead of having to start way down here where we were, we sort of build from them. So, I mean, think about it even just from the standpoint, I don't know where you started. I started in uh, my first jujitsu gym, air quotes gym, was in a weight training facility. And it was like a regular traditional like gym, like weightlifting gym. And in the back corner, we would put down puzzle mats. That was our jujitsu training facility, right? That was it. And uh, we would get the strange looks from the soccer moms on the treadmills and the bros on the bench presses and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But now when students come in, they don't start in a weightlifting facility where people are looking at them funny and on puzzle mats that are missing pieces that are breaking your toes every class. They're training on really nice mats. They have a dedicated facility with dedicated coaches that do this full time. Like they have a great experience and they get this group of like, they, like when I was starting, there would be maybe five people in class, basically all white belts led by a purple belt. Now they come into a class and you've got multiple black brown purple and blue belts that are there helping them so if you're a brand new person you get paired up with one of these experienced people who when you're trying to learn this move for the first time they're helping you out and so not only are you getting my wisdom my experience you're getting the shared wisdom and experience of the whole tribe right and so again you're in a much better place than any of us could have been so of course like i look all the time and at, at my purple belts and my blue belts and i'm like they if if they went against me when i was a purple blue belt they would have kicked my ass and i'm glad it's that way 
Because if, if, they, if they weren't, then I'd be like, well, I, I did something wrong because you should be better than I was when I was a purple or blue belt because I'm, I'm laying this stuff out for you. Um, and so again, I think that, you know, again, it's easy to look back at people and say, like, for instance, like people can look back at Hoist and you can look at his jujitsu back in like, say the UFC is very basic, very rudimentary. And, um, you know, if he was to compete, I mean, he wasn't a great sport jujitsu competitor anyway. Um, but again, you know, he, 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 he changed martial arts forever. Um, so regardless of that, but you know, when people look back at us, like when these like five-year-olds that are training jiu-jitsu now, when they're like a 25, 30-year-old black belt, they're going to look back at what we're doing and be like, man, that stuff was so basic. I w- I'd whoop those dudes' ass, right? Like, I mean, it is what it is. Like, it's it's like when, you know, I don't know about what we're, what your stance is on history. I'm not a biggest fan of like sort of people going back into history and sort of trying to view that time period with the lens of today to me it's not fair it's like saying like we go back and look at someone from like you know some time period and say well this person was bad and this that whatever and i'm like well yeah sure but for the time period he was a progressive like you got to think like this guy was pushing the needle forward towards a better place and you know yes it was a ever but when you judge him by the period of the day it's much a different thing right and then when people look back at us 100 years from now they're going to look back at us and think we have some pretty ass backwards ideas and so i think that to judge you know the old uh the older generation of jiu-jitsu guys by the lens of today is is very unfair you know because it's, it's like because back then Hickson, I mean, and again i don't know what you what you'd say because again you, you can't really judge just by like the, the techniques you're using but whatever you think Hickson was like back in the day, he was the dude, like the family unanimously. And even people that weren't inside the Gracie family unanimously said this dude was the dude, like he was the baddest dude around. And so, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, man. Dude, this has been a super, uh, insightful talk, Nick. I really, uh, appreciate you taking the time. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm a fan. Um, and I, really enjoyed getting to chat with you absolutely it was fun thanks for having me on all right dude well uh, i will shoot you a link don't feel uh any obligation to share but when i get this up i um i'll shoot it over to your inbox and um yes send it over. I, I'll, I'll share for sure I, I appreciate it i always like people are like dude did you watch the i was like man i don't re-watch my podcast and i don't think my guests do <laughs> but uh yeah. i I, I I'll rewatch I rewatch my vlogs and stuff so I can see I can watch my delivery of information, um just so I can be like eh, I can I can do that better next time you know for sure so, yeah. yeah well hey man thanks for doing what you do keep it up and uh, have a good evening man hey Brian you as well brother take care all right take it easy. <laughs>